generational. Nothing personal, word of the day. Today is July 5th, 2021. Welcome to Nothing Personal. Today, we're talking about Shohei Otani, a generational talent named to an all-star game to pitch and to hit. No, this is not a repeat. No, you have not entered the twilight zone. Today is actually May 16th, 2023. And we're going to use the same word again, generational. We could be talking about Shohei Otani coming a double short of hitting for the cycle while pitching. Last night, that would have been good. Good enough to bring generational back. But no, we've got two stories for you today where generational is the key word again. Number one, we're going to talk about the Las Vegas A's of Anaheim. The Las Vegas A's are a baseball team that potentially is starting because we keep getting reports that another deal happened. So we have to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about the NBA lottery where there is a generational talent to the winner of the ping pong ball lottery tonight. Let's start over in Oakland where the poor fans, all 2,064 of them, have to sit there and watch a team that hasn't even won the number of games all season that the Dodgers won this month already. And they're looking out and they're checking their phones. Are we leaving? Are we staying? Everyone says the team's already gone to Vegas, but there's this one guy in the corner of North America doing this show called Nothing Personal. And he always says, but the deal's not done. But we'll show him there's news today that the deal's definitely done. Let's go tune in to see what Samson says. Well, here it goes. Ready? The deal for the Oakland A's to move to Las Vegas is not done. Give me a Russell Crowe gladiator <laughs> thumbs down. So what got announced? Another land deal. The Oakland A's have done more land deals in Vegas than Bugsy Siegel. It's been one area, then another area, then another area, each coming with an announcement, each of them meaning less than the next. Irrelevant. Binding agreement. It's not like the middle of the night infomercials when you buy the stuff and when you put it on your skin, it binds your skin. You can glue your eyelids closed. It's not the kind of thing where you go into court and say, look at this binding agreement. That means we've got to do it. Not one agreement the Oakland A's have signed with anybody in Vegas has been a binding agreement. It has been an aspirational agreement. It's been a, if the following 10 things happen, then we may have an agreement. But it is in no way an agreement to move the team to Vegas. So what was different yesterday that caused everybody to say, this one's it? Because a public company, Bally's, agreed to give the A's nine acres. Nine. Not 49, nine. That means the Oakland A's can't do any ancillary development because Bally's, the publicly traded company, is going to develop the other 28 acres in the 37 acre or 30 acres in the 39 acre parcel. Or if it's a 35 acre parcel, then 26 acres. I don't care what the number is. It's under 49. The Oakland A's, when you are doing a new deal, what they have needed 
is the ability to have non-baseball related revenue, ancillary revenue around a ballpark that can help prop up your numbers, that can give you revenue that is not subject to revenue sharing. It can give you revenue that will not make your revenue look as though it's bigger than it is. So you'll keep getting revenue sharing from other clubs, but you'll be able as a team to make more money in order to pay your debt and to increase your payroll. That is why teams want ancillary development. When they don't get ancillary development, then they need a stadium deal that is publicly privately funded. And then still you better hope you draw in order to have a moderate payroll. But the Oakland A's stadium deal in Vegas at this new site is fully funded by the Oakland A's. Now they still want public money and they need a half a billion dollars of public money, but query, is that half a billion dollars going into construction of the stadium? Is that half a billion dollar of local money going into infrastructure? Is it going into ways around the Vegas Strip that will enable people to get better to that site? Because I'll tell you, they better do something if they're the Oakland A's moving to Vegas to this site. Because if they think they're going to draw 2.5 million people to a 30,000 seat stadium on nine acres of land near the Tropicana, then they need a better calculator. Or we've all had it wrong, and baseball, instead of 162 games, they're as part of the new strategy to increase audience, to increase broadcast rights. We have an announcement. It's not binding. The baseball season is going to expand to 212 games. There will be 106 home games for each team in a newly formed 32-team league. Then the Las Vegas A's would have a chance to draw 2.5 million. But if anyone thinks, I don't even want to say it that way. No one thinks the projections that the Oakland A's are showing to their banks to borrow money will show the ability to sell out a new stadium, to draw 2.4 million fans in a 30,000 seed stadium. The projections they show to baseball will not show that because baseball will look at that and say, we're not allowing those projections. We're not showing those to the other owners as part of the ability for you to seek relocation and then vote on your relocation. Because when a team relocates, they want to know several things like number one, how much money are we going to have to continue to give that team in revenue sharing? Number two, how much money is that team paying to relocate? Zero. Number three, what is the opportunity cost of not expanding into Vegas? Now, don't believe the chairman of Bally's, who used the word generational several times in his comments on this landmark announcement. It's a once in a generation opportunity. A generation is 20 years. Here's a quick note to all shareholders of Bally's. This is not a once in a generation moment to get a baseball team. If the Oakland A's do a deal in Oakland, then Las Vegas is a candidate, if not a likely winner for expansion. Expansion is coming sooner than the next generation, which under the most commonly used mathematical formulas is every 20 years. There will be a team in Vegas within 20 years, but it's once in a generation. Let's keep going. I don't think we should count on there being expansion, he said. I really, truly believe that this is our generational opportunity. 
That sounds like someone who's never spoken to baseball. That sounds like someone who wants a stadium as an anchor tenant of a development they want to do to show a return on investment for the land that they bought recently. They want to develop land around the stadium on the strip. They want to get an ROI for that land for all of the people, whether they're coming to ball games or not. So let's say that the A's don't draw two and a half million people. Let's say they draw one and a half million people. In theory, that's an incremental one and a half million people who are going to be using the area around the stadium to the benefit of Bally's, which all they did was contribute the nine acres. When we were negotiating the Marlins deal, the city was contributing the land for the stadium and the county and the team looked at the city and said, that's it. You got to do more than that because you're saving money by not having to refurbish and keep up the Orange Bowl. You're going to spend the money to tear it down. You're going to donate the land, but what else? And that's how it came out that the city was going to build and maintain the garages. But then they said, if we're going to do that, we need to keep the revenue from the garages. And we said, now we've got a deal. And I just gave you six months worth of negotiating in 10 seconds. All of these announcements that come out are just a negotiating ploy by one side or the other to get people either in the legislature to pay attention, to get people at other sites in other cities. It's all meant to give you the impression that this time it's real. I'm not sick of it because it's normal. I think that hyperbole bothers me a little bit. There is very, very rarely something that comes out in Vegas where it's once in a generation, right? We got to put this casino here. What an opportunity, generational opportunity. We're going to have substantial ballpark visitation. It's going to enhance future offerings within our development. It, it was like just a press release. They had the president of Bally's and they had another company and they had Dave Caval, the president of the A's. And they went through and gave the normal quotes, which are fine right? We're thrilled to work alongside Bally's and look forward to finalizing plans to bring the athletics to Southern Nevada. Boring. We've heard that statement the last time they did the deal near the in and out. The agreement between Bally's and the A's is, wait for it, subject to the passing of legislation for public financing by the Nevada state legislature. There is hope that that will happen this week. Here I go. I want everyone in the audience to do it with me. If you're on Nothing Personal with David Sampson, you're watching this. If you're listening to this, I'm about to do it. Ready? We're going to do it for 10 seconds, and that's it. On three. One, two, three. <gasps> okay. We just held our breath. I guess that means it's working that they're going to get state money. I've done this before. Give me a break. But it's generational. Nine acres, by the way. That's the best the A's could get. I know Rob Manford right now is talking to the A's saying, listen, nine acres? It's not good. Target Field got eight and a half. Marlins Park was around nine. You got to get area around it. You got to get in charge of that. The A's announced 2,000 people last night. 2,000 people. God, do they stink. Why are they not making up their attendance? Stop it. 
We know that you have a small season ticket base. We know that people aren't coming to games, but stop embarrassing baseball. You're not getting more money from Nevada because you have crappy attendance in Oakland. You're not getting more money from Oakland because you have crap, crappy attendance in Oakland. Everyone knows you need a new ballpark. Stop it. Buy dollar tickets on your own and start announcing more. It's embarrassing. Why is the commissioner not insisting that they do that? It's not working. I get it once or twice, but Gnug, it's enough. So my conclusion is that while this is a generational opportunity for Bally's and maybe even a generational opportunity for Vegas, this is hardly a once in a generation opportunity for either or the ace. So am I the one sole voice? Am I it? Am I the guy saying that this is not going to happen when it's definitely going to happen and everyone else is saying that it's going to happen and I'm the one who's going to be wrong and they're going to play this video and I'm going to look like an absolute jackass? Maybe. Maybe this is the one time in history where all these announcements that keep happening, this is it, this is binding. Maybe this is the one. Well, I held my breath and then I coughed. Okay. God, what are we going to do with those Oakland A's? Do you know how bad they are? They may be historically bad. And I don't just mean attendance. All right, let's talk about something else that's generational. I love this. A I don't know why I just said that. 6869. I love the word generational. I absolutely love it when scouts use it. I love it when player development use it. I love it when GMs use it. It is the most overused word. I hate it. This is a generational player, David. We've got to get this player. This is a generational talent. David, you have no idea. It is worth the extra million bucks. We're talking generational. My response always was, explain to me why in sports, generational is actually seasonal. Those names and words are supposed to be different. Seasonal means like four seasons in a year or maybe every year because it pretend it's your basketball season or baseball season, annual. He's the best this year. Love that. He's the best I've ever seen come out of Southern California. Really? You just got to sign that post. Or he's the best amateur hitter I've ever seen. Like ever? I always have to question when people say to me to words like this because nine times out of 10, strike that, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, it doesn't work that way. Every once in a while, a player comes along. We reviewed the movie yesterday, Michael Jordan, generational. Third pick in the draft. Do you think that Portland thought he was generational? Or Houston? Because if they did, they wouldn't have taken Hakeem the Dream or Sam Bowie. LeBron James, generational. Cavs win the lottery, goes to Cleveland. He becomes a generational player. Can a generational player play in the NBA with another generational player? Is he the next generational player? Can there be multiple generational players? Can you get multiple business deals or multiple opportunities and call them all once in a generation? How about saying once in a lifetime? My love for you is once in a lifetime. The love I feel for you right now, it's like a song. Yes, it feels good at the time. This is the greatest movie I ever saw. This is the greatest weekend in South Florida sports. It's the greatest month. 
starting tomorrow, every other day, every day. We've got Panthers. We've got Heat. We've got Eastern Conference. It's amazing. It's the best time ever. Tonight in the lottery, there'll be an envelope stuck to the bottom. They'll move around the envelopes and they'll put their arm in. And it's not even the commissioner anymore. So David Stern can't do it, although he's passed away. So we really can't do it. Adam Silver doesn't want to do it. But Mark Tatum, the deputy commissioner, is going to put his hands in, rip out an envelope. And in the envelope, it's going to say San Antonio Spurs. Generational talent. Here comes Victor Wembanyama. This guy is seven feet tall, more than seven feet tall. I think he's like seven five. He has an eight foot wingspan. Never really understood what that means other than the fact that when you hold your arms out, he can basically look at that. He can do a lot. But guess what? Are you for sure that he's generational talent? He's got work ethic. There's somebody who gave the report, top scout, work ethic, competitiveness, intelligence, his supernatural physical tools, talent, given the chance to become an MVP candidate and possibly one of the best players we've seen. Wait for it. In this generation. <laughs> I guess that's it. It's a generational player. I like it. I like that the basketball looks like a grapefruit in his hand. I like the fact that he's got a chance. I think he speaks French too. I'm all in. Jonathan Guinevy, you are the top NBA scout for ESPN, and I'm not impugning your ability to be a scout. I'm laughing at the fact that you say generation. That's like the word of the day. Now, why am I saying the Spurs get it? The Pistons have a 14% chance. The Rockets have a 14% chance. The Spurs have a 14% chance. And don't forget Michael Jordan's team, which he's negotiating to sell. But guess why he hasn't sold it yet? Because he has a 12.5% chance to get the number one pick, a generational talent, and then to say, my team's now worth an extra $300 billion because look at the business we did. Look what happened when Zion signed with the New Orleans Pelicans. There was a standing ovation in the sales room. The phones were ringing off the hook. 5 million, 10 million, 20 million of sales were selling out. My God, this is generational. My team is now worth an extra couple hundred mil. Could be the Dallas Mavericks. Love it. Dallas Mavericks could get them. They got a 3% chance after that tank job. What about the Raptors and their new coach? They could get it 1% chance. NGTH, folks, not going to happen. So if you are a fan of Detroit or Houston or San Antonio or Charlotte or Portland or Orlando or Indiana or Washington or Utah or Dallas or Chicago or Oklahoma City or Toronto or New Orleans, what you are saying is that tonight you have a chance to get Ben Simmons. Generational talent. They called him that. Go back and look. How about Zion? generational talent. Go back and look. Yeah, that was a good standing ovation. Although now I think I'd rather have him, him than Ja. Although, God, I used to be Ja, not him. Okay. How about this one? Generational talent. Greg Oden. Brian Taylor. Generational. Sean West. Greatest lefty anyone ever saw. Generational. <laughs> the number of LeBron James and Bryce Harper's Really, it's quite a bit smaller than the number of generational people who turn out to be not generational because the people who say they're generational are doing it with a small bit of agenda. Now, do I think Victor has a chance to be the best player in the NBA? Sure. 
He has the same chance as anybody else in the draft to being the best player in the NBA. It is so rare to have a LeBron James, a Bryce Harper, someone who comes out when they were a kid and becomes what you thought they would become. How many generational players have we actually seen? Does Curry count as a generational player in the NBA? Are we going with Jordan to James to Kobe? Who's the current generational talent? Curry may be the generational shooter with a ton of rings. I'm not going to throw shade or disrespect on Steph Curry. I'm merely saying that we overuse the word. That's why we made it word of the day. I mean, Greg Oden, what was he? 1-1 pick. Nada. Not generational. Nothing. So let's make sure we pay attention to the lottery tonight because I think that it's fixed. And I'm not impugning and I'm not trying to make headlines and I'm not saying that they arrange the balls so that a certain thing happens. I'm not saying that Patrick Ewing's envelope was stuck to the bottom. But boy, did the Knicks need Ewing. What I am saying is that there's a benefit to certain players being on certain teams. It's a benefit to the NBA. It's a benefit to the team and the overall league. And guess where the NBA is right now? The NBA is in a position where they're trying to get three times their broadcast rights. Do you think that they would like him in a market that historically does well, looks good, people watch? Hmm. I think we should watch tonight and see where he goes. I told you my prediction already. I believe that he goes to San Antonio. Okay. Coca, let's take a break. I watched the new Netflix movie with Jennifer Lopez. We're going to review it. And then we're going to talk about tonight's game uh, between the Nuggets and the Lakers. And we're eventually going to get to a little conversation about the New York Mets. Because as you know, I'm in New York. And I think it's high time that people realized uh, that what you thought was happening here in New York is actually not happening. And I'm going to tell you whether or not you need to be worried about that. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson, Matthew Coca, every day live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. If you're listening to this, please subscribe to YouTube and then listen, download, and tell your friends. I watched a movie yesterday, as I do every day, even when I am back and forth to a graduation. I watched a movie called The Mother with Jennifer Lopez. Okay. There's a chance that I looked at my phone 95 times. There's a chance that I realized that Jennifer Lopez is beautiful and is 
an action hero, but a better script would make all of it better. There's a chance that I was drawn in by the story of her trying to protect her daughter, who's not really her daughter, but is really her daughter, but maybe not, and maybe yes. There's a chance I actually cared whether they lived or died. Just a small chance. In the movie, that is, not in real life. They're good actresses. I'm going to do something that I don't like doing with Jennifer because I like her. I'm going to suggest to you that you not take the time to watch this movie. I took the time for you. If you're looking for a Jennifer Lopez vehicle, go watch Out of Sight. Go watch Made in Manhattan. There's a lot more movies that she's done that are way better than The Mother. This is a once-in-a-generation idea where a woman has a child, they take the child away because the child's in danger, and then the mother searches for the child to try to save the child from being in further danger, and then there's the big emotional moment where you say, do I keep the child? Do I give the child back? Do I save the child? What is the meaning of my life? Do I want to live it alone shooting people, or do I want to be someone who's rehabilitated and live the life of packing peanut butter and jelly and driving my kid to school and then talking with all the other mommies and daddies in the playground. Never saw that before. That's once in a generation. Pfft. Skip it. It's called the mother. Okay. Let's go to Terry McDonough. I want to revisit some, uh, part of a show and we're going to turn this a little more serious. Terry McDonough is the executive with the Cardinals who sued actually uh, the owner, Michael Bidwell, Michael Bidwell of the Arizona Cardinals, who is someone who runs his business in a way that is questionable to say the least and under scrutiny to say the most. And Terry McDonough is an executive who brought an arbitration, which is what you do. And an arbitrator is going to be a guy named Jeffrey Mishkin, who is an NFL assigned arbitrator. And there's evidence, there's testimony, et cetera. And there's supposed to be a gag. You're not supposed to talk about it. Yesterday, Terry McDonough actually added, which is what you do when you want to amend a lawsuit. That means you want to add something. You discovered something after the fact that you want to make part of what you are suing the person about. This guy, Terry McDonough, the former VP of player development for the Cardinals, amended his complaint because of what Michael Bidwell has been doing to him since Terry filed the initial complaint. Here is the general rule. When you're being sued, STFU, just zip it. Do you remember when we went over that big PR response that came from Bidwell's people that talked about all the bad things that McDonough had done that impugned his ability as a father and a husband and his alcoholism and all the other things? Well, Terry McDonough said, that's enough. I am now amending this lawsuit to include defamation to include invasion of privacy. The things that you are saying about me and my family are inappropriate, and I'm not gonna comment, but my wife's going to, but my ex-wife's going to, and my ex-wife is gonna say publicly, not attributed to me, that I'm a great dad, that I go to all the practices, that I'm there for my children. Anytime this happens, I get a little PTSD, and I'll tell you why. You can't be a sports executive, doesn't exist and have your wife say to you, he was always there for every game and every event. Nope, you lost me. Zero credibility. 
There's not one person in the sports business. And yes, you can book it. There's not one team president, not one general manager, not one owner who goes to every event of his or her child. You cannot do it. Does it make you a bad father, bad husband? Does it lead to divorce? Does it lead to other personal issues? Does it lead to wiring and robotics because you don't want to be at a place where everyone's saying, hey, my kid's so good, are you going to sign him? Or that you just don't have the time or the desire or you're worried about missing work or you won't miss games or all the other multiple things that go on in your head. There's only one thing I know for sure. You don't go to every game or every event. So when you're trying to get PR in a lawsuit like this, that's not a helpful statement. It would have been better to just remain silent. You're going to have an opportunity. Terry will have this opportunity to prove that what Michael Bidwell and the Arizona Cardinals have done is enough to give him damages. That's what they're after. What, you think they're after Michael Bidwell to issue an apology saying, you know what, after further review, Terry McDonough is a great father and a great husband. This now settles the entire sitch. Come on. You think that's what people are suing for? Yes, please just say that I'm really good at what I do and that's enough. Come on, you're suing for money. Terry McDonough wants money. Doesn't need Bidwell to say what a great guy he is. He wants the damages. So this lawsuit is gonna continue in the, in the form of an arbitration. And the Cardinals were made aware of the amendment and they didn't say anything, which is smart. McDonough, if he proves that Bidwell cheated, that he discriminated, that he harassed, there's going to be payment. This arbitration claim, which was filed way back in April, so my guess is we talked about it back then, this is still going to be going on, I assure you, for months to come. So there will be more time to talk about it. So when you read that he amended the complaint, That doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean it's going away faster, going away slower. It doesn't mean he has a better opportunity to win now. What it means is he felt there are more things that he wants to throw against the wall. That's what plaintiffs do. The most you can throw against the wall to try to get something stick you're going to do. Does it make Michael Bidwell nervous? I can tell you his lawyers are saying to him, it'd be good if you would just shut up. So we'll follow this going forward, I promise. All right. Nothing personal pick of the day for all the Cardinals fans listening. And I know there are a lot of you and I know there are people from Milwaukee too. The Cardinals beat the Brewers 18 to one. And we had Flaherty and the Cardinals beating the Brewers last night. It is amazing what can happen when you hit the ball and pitch well, Flaherty pitched well. It's amazing when you are playing the leader in your division and you know you don't get a lot of cracks because of the new balance schedule. So you're playing every team, which means you're playing your division rivals fewer times. You know that as we head into the middle of May, it's go time. You've got to start doing something. Those were the reasons why I had the Cardinals over the Brewers, and they were such a short favorite at minus 105 that that ends up being a great win. We're 76 and 73, and now let's talk about tonight. Tonight, the focus is back on the NBA, not just for the lottery, but for the Nuggets-Lakers match, a rematch of the bubble quarter uh, conference finals. As a matter of fact, both conference finals in 2023, the Heat against the Celtics and the Lakers against the Nuggets, those were the final four teams in that bubble in Orlando in 2020. The Lakers won that title with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And those are the only two players left, actually, from 2020 Lakers. They've totally redone their team. 
LeBron James, the goat, duh, is older and better, believe it or not, than he was in the bubble. It's going to be one hell of a series. Here's the problem that the Lakers have. If you have Anthony Davis trying to stop Jokic, it's not going to work because it's going to make Anthony Davis way less usable on the offensive end. He's going to have to focus so much and stopping Jokic requires discipline. It requires being in shape and it requires concentration because the way Jokic plays. If you've never seen him play, watch him play. The Nuggets overall, they're healthy this year for the first time in forever with Murray and Porter and Jokic. To me, the Nuggets win this series. It is much closer from an odd standpoint than the Celtics Heat series where the Celtics are prohibitive favorites to beat the Heat. But I'm telling you right now that the Nuggets will make it to the NBA Finals. They will beat the Lakers. It starts with tonight and our pick of the day, Nuggets minus six over Lakers. And it ends with a wait to see on a random day, May 16th. NBA Finals don't start till June 1st. Here we go. Ready? Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. When it does, great. When it doesn't, great. Wait to see. Nikola Jokic is a generational talent. <laughs> Sorry, Coke. How could I resist that? Come on. Now, my wait to see is officially that Jokic is actually going to win the finals MVP. So just so you know that. So that's the official and you can book it. Jokic will be the finals MVP. That's how good he is. Starting tomorrow night, we get the hockey conference finals. While you were sleeping, the Seattle Kraken lost their season to the Dallas Stars. The game was on late and it was over two to one. So they've got a final four, a very exciting final four in the East with Carolina against Florida. That is really being paid attention to by everyone around the country. Of course, I'm not saying anything negative about the Panthers. Love them. Happy for Vinny and Matt. All of that said, it's not the ideal matchup. The good news is that South Florida right now, so if you're listening to the Levitard show, you will not be hearing me a lot. You will be hearing people talk as though they are having their moments, which they are, and I'm happy for them. It is Heat Panthers, Heat Panthers. It's good. Do you know that ESPN, as they're looking at how to deal with broadcasting this, they had a conflict between baseball and the NHL playoffs. And did you know that they showed the Sunday night game of the week and not the NHL playoffs? I wanted to explain to you how that works. There is a hierarchy in every broadcast deal of what your games can be preempted by. And the NHL playoffs, early rounds, my guess is in their deal with ESPN, it doesn't preempt anything, not even curling. Baseball has had a tr has had many, many issues in their deal because the NFL preempts them. So you'll look back many years and you'll see that the NFL, that the NFL, when they've got a game and MLB has like a season opener or something that you'd think would be ESPN worthy, and all of a sudden the baseball games on ESPN two and Rob Manford or Bud Selig would be calling and despondent, and they'd simply say, read the contract. So this is not a decision based on teams. It's a decision based on the order where sports are shown in each particular contract. So when there's a network doing a contract with a league, they've got to know 
what their responsibilities are to other leagues. Who's got priority when, because they can't put into a contract something that they cannot actually follow through with, because then they'd be in breach of that contract. So the people in charge have everything in their mind, but it's also written down. And that's why it goes through legal. And that's why so many people look at these contracts so they can figure out, hey, make sure in your NBA deal, it's pointed out certain nights of the week, there's an opportunity or a necessity for it to be on a different channel. NHL, same thing. MLB, same thing. The only one that doesn't have to worry, which really always pissed me off, is the NFL. They get preempted by nothing. Nothing. You just saw uh, just this week, actually, there was an article where the Live Golf Tour, which is on the CW network, got preempted because their time slot ended. And they went in the middle of the final round of golf. There were like four holes left. They went to their other programming. One of them was showing the Goldbergs or something, whatever they were showing on CW. It was like a Heidi moment. But guess what? Live as their TV deal, they just got a slot. They paid for the slot is really how it happened. And once the slot's over, CW goes to the other things that it programs because it's smarter for them financially. So if you want to know how the Live Golf Tour is, do, is going or how their broadcast deal is, or you want to know how any broadcast deal is, it's always wise to take a look at who's preempting who and whether or not games have a window or they must be shown to completion. In the four major sports of which Live Golf is not it, games are shown to completion. That's why when you see a really big game that's supposed to be on TNT, but the first game is going long, they have to show the first game to its completion. And the second game starts on TBS and then moves to TNT upon the completion of the first game. That is all. That is not a executive who's sitting there at the button and saying, oh, I'm way more interested in game one than game two. It's contractual. Game one must be seen to its completion. Why was that even in my head? I have no idea. Okay, Nuggets minus six over Lakers. All right, somebody sent something to me that is worth discussing, Coca. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get into my Twitter, David P. Samson. Ask a question, and it may make the show. Hey, David. As a former team executive... I would like to get your thoughts on what happened over the weekend involving the rain delay situation between the Mets and Nationals and how that all played out. As someone who dealt with rain delays on nearly a daily basis before the new stadium, how would you have handled that situation differently? Thank you for asking. And here's a mea culpa. I don't know that if I were president of a team, I would act this way now, but when I was president of the Marlins at pro player, I always felt as though the Dolphins were our big brother who ignored us. MLB was our parents who wanted us to fail and ignored us. And even after winning a World Series, but looking at Bud Selig's face as he handed us the trophy with absolute disgust that we had one and he didn't. I remember that just looking at it clear as day. I will tell you that we took advantage of our rain situation every single time. We had better information than what we gave the visiting club. We never would burn one of our starters or get our starters throwing. 
We always knew whether we wanted to call a game quickly or let it linger, go full cranberries. And it had to do with who we were playing. It had to do with what the travel schedule was for us or the other team. It had to do with what we felt about the other team's front office or the other team's owner or the other team's players. It had to do with what our players were feeling about the other team. There is competitive stuff that goes on. The Atlanta Braves were famous for making us sit around so we would make them sit around. The Washington Nationals, famous for making teams sit around. So when we had a chance, you make them sit around too. When you have a chance to do something back to a team that does something to you, you do it. It is so petty. I get it, but it's real. And we're not the only team who does it. You want to know why that game wasn't called and why you sat through a four-hour rain delay? because the Nationals wanted the Mets to sit through the four-hour rain delay. You want to know why there was a split doubleheader the next day? The rules say that it can only be split when there's going to be a sellout. When there's not a sellout, you got to make it a one single ticket admission. Because then you got one game at 1230, one game at 430. You make the team sit around for longer. Hell yeah. You can hide your decisions in money. You can hide them in logistics. You can hide them by saying the commissioner's office required it. But when you get right down to it, life between teams is a lorry type of petty. All over the place. It wasn't just me. We're all supposed to be partners. But believe me, the job of the commissioner to remind owners and presidents that they're all partners is a really tough job because you're competing against these people every single day and you're jealous of them or they're jealous of you or you want to have an advantage in any way possible and you do whatever you have to do to get that advantage. So the Mets sat around there. They then lost the first game of that split doubleheader. And I think they won the second game when Scherzer pitched. They had this stretch of games where they were supposed to go like nine and four or 10 and three. They played three bad teams. I can't remember who it was the, maybe the nationals and the tigers and somebody else. I, I literally can't remember it so long ago, but it just happened 13 consecutive games. Guess what? The Mets went four and nine. The Mets have a problem here is they are now closer to last place than first place. As we hit may. When you play the Tigers, Rockies, and Reds, and then finish off with the Nationals, you can't go four and nine and expect to compete for a playoff spot or expect to compete for a ring, no matter what your payroll is. When you throw out the same pitcher every five days who has the lowest qualifying ERA, his name is David Peterson, you are doing something wrong. It means that you don't have the depth in your system. It means that you sign players incorrectly who got hurt who were ineffective. When you are six and a half games back of the Braves in heading toward Memorial Day and fourth place in your division without as many games against everyone in the division to get past them, you've got to start thinking about whether your season is in trouble. I've told you it's early for the Mets. That's when it was early. It is now in the beginning of the middle. And if the Mets are in the position they're in at the end of the middle, which is at the end of June, they're done. They are not going to sell at the deadline. They're going to add at the deadline. 
There are certain teams that doesn't matter where they are in the standings, the owner's never going to give up. And as a fan, you better love that. All the Met fans who are upset right now, I don't want to hear a word. Your owner spends money in a way that no other owner is. You're upset with Epler. You're upset with Steve Cohn for bad signings. All right. But I don't buy it. Steve Cohn right now has a chance this July to add to the team. They need pitching. They need bullpen. And man, do they need hitting. You'll all get a chance to look at Verlander when he finally makes his home debut. And you're going to look at another octogenarian pitcher, another $43 million guy. And you'll see whether or not he's effective, whether he's not. And you're going to get a good bellwether as they're playing the Rays, who are a team with a quarter of their payroll and almost four times more wins. God, that would have been cool if there were four times more wins. That's not the case. It's probably 40% more wins and a payroll that is four times as high. Mets versus Rays. It's outstanding. You want to look at a well-run team? Take a look at the Rays who can withstand pitching injuries and still win. They can withstand things that happen negatively because that happens to every team and they still find a way to win games. The Mets went into the season and are exactly what people in the know thought they'd be. Decent. Money doesn't buy you love. It doesn't buy you happiness. It doesn't buy you rings. It just buys you an off-season. Ask Peter Seidler the same question, the owner of the Padres. What has money bought him? He gets to take a lot of pictures. A lot of people want his autograph. Hip, hip, hooray. Guess what? The Padres, who just got swept by the Dodgers, the Padres with that huge payroll, who's laughing now? I told you the Dodgers would win that division. I still believe they're going to win that division. And the Padres are nothing, nowhere. And the Mets are right with them. The two teams that everybody's rooting against in baseball. The other 28 teams uniquely rooting against the Padres and the Mets. Hmm. And they're the two teams who are truly underperforming? My heavens. Is that a coincidence, Or is it possible the teams playing them really want to beat them? Hmm. All right, I'm going to ponder that. In the meantime, I'm going to go about the rest of my day. And so should you. It's just business. We'll be back tomorrow. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.